All right, friends. So today we're going to continue reading the book of Galatians, and we're going to look at chapter five, verses sixteen to eighteen. This is the word of the Lord. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Let's pray. 天父，感谢你的话语，求主你使用今天你自己的话来帮助我们认识什么是圣灵给我们的带领，为什么圣灵对于那些相信耶稣基督的人来说是如此的重要。那也标的着我们的身份。求主，你今天亲自的对我们说话，愿我们可以有不同的领受。Father, thank you for your word. May you use your own words to help us understand why the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, is so crucially important for those who believe in Jesus Christ. And how does this work? Help us to understand this. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Previously, Paul. Teaches the Galatians two things: first, justification by faith, not by works; second, anyone using Jesus Christ has been freed from sin and death. Paul points out that true freedom in Christ is the ability to love one another, and he encourages us to live out our faith by practicing a loving lifestyle. As one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, love one another in Jesus Christ testifies our faith and glorifies God. And in today's text, Paul continues to teach us how to live the Christian life. When someone has been justified by faith alone in Christ, this person is called to live a faithful life that would be drastically different from the previous life he had lived outside of Christ. So, what does this mean? Does this mean that a person in Christ can live in whatever sinful manner he may choose? Absolutely not. Paul's famous teaching in Romans chapter six, verse two, should come into our minds that by no means, how can we who die to sin still live in it? Today's texts would be very helpful to deepen our understanding of how to live a faithful, loving life that is led by the Holy Spirit. Let me point out one thing for you, friends. In the previous chapters, Paul told us that use the true freedom in Christ as opportunity to serve and love one another. In other words, grace alone, faith alone, and in Christ alone, it's fundamental to start living a sin-free, Christ-wrought, and a spiritual-filled life. However, Paul does not want us to begin with faith in Christ and end with our own works. He points us to the source of the spiritual fruits, the union with Christ, as the means to continue living our Christian life. He tells us that we can love one another only if we walk by the Spirit. As a theologian, Paul often conveys the biblical truth in a dynamic way of using languages from the Old Testament. And he does the same in this section of the chapter by looking to Israel's history of leaving the land of slavery, to instruct us how to walk by the Spirit. What we have learned from the previous chapters of the book is that before Christ came and inaugurated the new creation, 
Israel was held captive and imprisoned under the law. Paul told the Galatians that under the Mosaic Covenant, they were enslaved by weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. For any Jewish people who lived in Paul's time, these words and analogies would undoubtedly remind them of their slavery in the land of Egypt. Paul compares the law to Pharaoh, who once enslaved God's chosen people, whereas Christ, who delivered God's people from the bondage of sin and death. What we have not learned is that Israel's Exodus narrative did not end with their miraculous deliverance at the Red Sea, nor by Moses alone. According to Isaiah chapter 63, Paul suggested that the Exodus was fully and entirely conducted under the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to the prophet Isaiah, who says this, Then God remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of this flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the death? Like a horse in the desert, they did not stumble, like livestock that go down into the valley. The Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you led your people to make for yourself a glorious name. Another prophet, Nehemiah, offers another biblical evidence in Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 19 to 20. He says thus, The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night, to light for them the way by which they should go. God gave his good spirit to instruct them, and did not withhold your manna from their mouth, and he gave them water for their thirst. So according to the prophets, several things are actually done by the power of the Holy Spirit in the process of Israel's exodus. First, the cloud by day and pillar of fire by night that led Israel was in fact the Holy Spirit. Second, the dividing of the Red Sea was in fact done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And third, the rest and need of Israel in the wilderness were in fact provided by the power of the Holy Spirit. The psalmist reflects this and said, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. So Israel was led by the Spirit, and therefore walked by the Spirit. And please keep this Old Testament background in your mind. Let's go to verse 16, and Paul begins his instructions here. And he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Here, Paul exhorts the Galatians to maintain in Jesus Christ and continue on the path led by the Holy Spirit. In his eyes, there are significant similarities between the Old Testament Israel and the Galatians' new converts. For Old Testament Israel, the temptation was to return to the bondage of Egypt. 
For the Galatians, however, the temptation was to return to the bondage of the Mosaic Covenant. Both of them were tempted by the desires of the flesh to leave God's redemptive grace and return to the status as slaves. The question was, how can the Galatians' new converts persevere in Jesus Christ without going astray foolishly back to the prison and slavery under the law? Paul emphasizes in verse 16 that it is hopeless to look for such perseverance within oneself. Instead, they must look to Christ and walk by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit leads them freely. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Paul contrasts the flesh and the Holy Spirit as two realms in complete antithetical positions. There is no agreement between them as one is always opposed to the other. John Calvin concludes, The word flesh denotes the nature of man. The spirit denotes the renewed nature or the grace of regeneration. Disobedience and rebellion against the Spirit of God pervade the whole nature of man. The book of Galatians is not the only place where Paul teaches about the antithetical nature between the flesh and the spirit. Elsewhere in Paul's letters, he uses the old self interchangeably to refer to the same thing. Romans chapter 6 and verse 6, he says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, he says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupted through deceitful desires. And Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, he says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self, with its practices. According to the scripture, the old self or the desires of the flesh could be characterized in the following ways. Number one, it must be crucified with Jesus so that we would no longer be enslaved to it. Number two, for anyone living in Jesus Christ, it must no longer be shaped by it. Number three, there is no such thing as the coexistence of the flesh and the spirit in a Christ the follower for their antithetical in nature. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Paul has the two realms, flesh and spirit, in his mind that even at the beginning of this book, he called his days the present evil age. Elsewhere, he refers to the second coming of Jesus as the age to come. In other words, Paul sees the antithetical nature of the flesh and spirit more than a personal struggle, but two realms, the realm of reality that we're currently living in and the realm of God's kingdom, that is the future kingdom to come. Those two realms are separately marked by different conducts. The present evil age is marked by sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, 
and the like. However, the age to come, the epic that has dawned through the work of the last Adam and the outpouring of the life-giving spirit is marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So friends, we can say that our struggles on the personal level are truly reflective of the much greater redemptive plan of the Lord. Now, as Christians, we need to ask this question. How can we successfully walk by the Spirit, no longer by the sinful desires of the flesh? John Calvin provides his answer. He says, If we would obey the Spirit, we must labor and fight and apply our utmost energy. And we must begin with self-denial. Labor means to try your best at your greatest ability. To be diligent is an attitude issue. Fight means to dare to say no to your old self, to be determined to transform your life and farewell to your past is a willful decision. Apply means to live out God's word in your daily life. To be enabled to live with obedience is a wisdom issue. And he also says to begin with self-denial means to accept the biblical anthropological view that we're totally depraved by sin in every way and in every aspect. Denying oneself is the beginning of turning to the Lord. Only those who receive the initiative works of the Holy Spirit has the ability to humble themselves. As Paul concludes at the end of verse 17, the corrupted desire of the flesh keep you from doing the things you want to do. Very true, friends. None of the things that I just mentioned are natural to our sinful nature. However, it is because we are unable to do the things that are unnatural to us that proves the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Theologian R.C. Sparrow comments, Only believers in whom the Spirit dwells and whose lives the Spirit governs experience conviction by spirit as a result of this conflict. The presence of this opposition and conviction about it in the believer's life assures him then and he is a true Christian. Paul confidently informs the Galatians in verse 18, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Earlier, before chapter 5, Paul declares to the Galatians, So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of free woman, for freedom Christ has set us free. Here, he connects the freedom in Christ to the work of the Holy Spirit. Both languages point to the free and power in Christ alone, by faith alone, and through grace alone. In other words, friends, Paul wanted the Galatians to know that the power to manifest the fruit of the Spirit did not come from themselves, but from Christ and the Spirit. Given the context that the true freedom in Christ must be marked by genuinely loving and serving one another, Paul means to answer this question. It is by seeking the freedom in Christ and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, we would be enabled to practice our freedom to truly love our neighbors as ourselves. In other words, 
Paul reminds us again that there is no possibility to be able to love one another outside of Jesus Christ because there is no salvation outside of Jesus. Friends, we live in a world filled with all kinds of philosophies, worldviews, and lifestyles. People tend to believe that there is more than just one way a person can be set free, where multiple ways lead to the same destination. Unfortunately, this is not true. Mysticism makes you believe that you can find God from within with the unspeakable and mysterious method. Pantheism tells you that God is everywhere and can be found anywhere you like. Panentheism persuades you that God is in all things. There is a flower God, a thunder God, a TV God, a piano God, a sofa God, you name it. And atheism convinces you that there is no God at all. What about religious philosophies? Like Buddhism is a type of uh, atheistic philosophy rather than a theistic religion. Confucianism is a hybrid of philosophy and culture. Islam is a type of humanistic religion that the divine being provides no assurance of salvation to the believers. Not to mention liberalism, feminism, egalitarianism, postmodernism, unitarianism, nationalism, naturalism, materialism. This list of isms could be endless. However, one thing in common is that the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ cannot be found in any of them. The tendency for people to seek salvation through these different routes other than the gospel in Jesus Christ is a real danger in our time. As how God delivered, protected, led, and provided to the Israelites out of Egypt, the sovereign grace has come to you with the advent of Christ. It is through Jesus Christ that God has redeemed us out from under the bondage of the law and the dominion of Satan sin, and death. It is through Jesus Christ that God reveals who He is to us while we're still wandering in the wilderness and in the midst of the present evil age. It is through Jesus Christ that God provides for our every need. Christ alone is the heavenly manna that feeds all our physical and spiritual needs. Friends, listen to John's words in John chapter 6, verses 48 to 51. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Another place in Jonah chapter 4 verse 14 says, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The living water that Jesus Christ gave to us is the Holy Spirit. 
Once a person receives Jesus by faith, he is given the living water welling up to eternal life, and that is the Holy Spirit. Therefore, friends, we do not seek Jesus Christ in worldly ways outside of the gospel because he has indwelled us through the Holy Spirit. We do find Jesus Christ in reading the Bible, for it is given to us through God's written word. We do find Jesus Christ in listening to the preached word. Each and every Sunday, it is crucially important to be called and gathered before the Lord to worship Him as He distributes the heavenly manna when the minister faithfully preaches Jesus Christ. We do find Jesus Christ in participating in the sacraments, the Lord's Supper, and baptism. And we do find Jesus Christ in praying fervently to our Heavenly Father. We are transformed and conformed into the image of Christ as we draw near to Him in worship. As the all-powerful Word goes forth, the same Word that brought worlds into existence, God feeds, provides, transforms, sanctifies, and saves His people. So friends, we have been freed from the power of Satan, sin, and death by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now Jesus, our great shepherd, leads us through the wilderness on the last and final exodus. Christ leads us by the presence of the Holy Spirit, like Israel of old, being led by the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In our pilgrimage to the heavenly Jerusalem, we must be led by the Holy Spirit. We are prone to wander, and at times we even try to return to the bondage from which we have been redeemed. Walk by the Spirit, therefore, friends, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you are led by the Spirit, you are no longer under the law. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for connecting the freedom in Jesus, the work of the Holy Spirit. And thank you for bringing us back to the history of Israel and remind us once again, our life should be led by the Holy Spirit. Father, as we just celebrate Thanksgiving and uh, approach into Christmas, the day to remember the birth of Jesus Christ, let our heart once be focused on Jesus. May your Holy Spirit be working in our hearts. May our lives would be once again led by the Spirit, transformed by the Spirit, renewed by the Spirit, conformed by your Word. Let our minds and hearts be freed by the life of Jesus. Help us, Father. Without the power of your Spirit, we cannot do this. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.